according to ShakespeareOnline.com. The English language owes a great debt to Shakespeare. He invented over 1,700 of our common words by changing nouns into verbs, changing verbs into adjectives, adding prefixes and suffixes, connecting words never before used together, and devising words wholly original. If I could, I'd spit this in whatever mother tongue was ripped from our mother's lips. But the closest I got to that is hip-hop, is black talk, is improper, non-proper, unproper, uneducated, un-educated, unassimilated me talk, we talk, our talk. Make y'all wish y'all know I'm talking about talk. Make y'all ask your black friend talk. Make y'all run to UrbanDictionary.com talk. That one thing, that something that belongs to us. That us you try to demonize, envy, copy, despise. That us you try to categorize, stereotype. Try to shame our broken English you wish you could understand, but you can't never get it because we stay fly. We stay fresh. We stay changed. We stay everyday new way to say we never believed your lies. We never spoke your tongue. We been in educated, uneducated, undashed, educated, unscratched, educated. And if you ever want to know what we talking about, maybe you need to unlearn a thing or two. Who says our vernacular ain't classical? Who says rap lyricists are any less than Shakespearean? Shakespeare, a man who turned nouns into verbs and invented 1,700 words. That's funny. When we break the rules, we're called ignorant. When we invent words, they're called slang. The way we talk is improper, non-proper, unproper, uneducated, un-educated, unassimilated. We ain't never been dumb. We break English like chains. This is our native tongue. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Story Podcast. This is season four, episode one, which, if added all up, officially means that we are surpassing the 100 episode mark. Man, what a run it has been. In many ways, it feels like we're just getting started. As you already heard, kicking off this episode was a powerful piece of spoken word titled Native Tongue from artist, musician, poet, speaker, and all-around amazing guy, Micah Borne. Born and raised in Long Beach, California, right outside of Los Angeles, he began rapping while attending school at Moody in Chicago. From there, he began blending and bending genres as he incorporated spoken word, poetry, rhythm and blues, and funk into his music. It's been amazing to follow his career and watch it unfold and get to know him. Micah was a presenter at Story 2016. It was our team's first year producing Story, and he was one of the first people I called. I had grand visions for what this event could become, but if I'm honest, I was so nervous about so many things. I had invested so much into this vision of what Story could be, and if that first year's conference would have failed, I'd have been left in financial ruin. I'm not complaining. It was a bet I was willing to make. Not because of the potential financial upside, because trust me, if you're out to focus solely on generating revenue, producing a conference, especially the way that we produce story, is just not the best path toward achieving that goal. But I had a much bigger vision. That vision was to gather storytellers of all kinds, and while serving them well, also have conversations around the power we have to shift narratives that so badly need to change. 
One of those narratives was, and still is, around racism in America. So we embraced it off the bat that first year in 2016. I will never forget artist, activist, and Disney Imagineer Nicholas Smith stepping up to the mic in a first session, walking onto the stage and saying, I'm going to ask you a question, and I'd like for you to answer yes or no out loud. Then he proceeded to simply say, Black Lives Matter. And then he paused, waiting for the audience to respond. Now, that may not seem provocative today, but sadly, it was certainly far more provocative than it should have been four years ago. I still remember where I was standing in the back hallway, imagining the potential backlash I'd receive as a result of hosting these kinds of conversations, and what I was going to do if Story lost financial support and I had to sell my house or something or lay off my team. I was afraid of people saying, hey, we didn't register for this conference to be presented with political agendas, so yeah, we won't be coming back next year. To me, it wasn't a political agenda. It was a human agenda, a conversation that storytellers had unique power over and the opportunity for us to rise up and leverage that power through the stories we had the potential to tell, to change hearts and minds. And look, if losing money was the risk I was taking, I eventually learned to become fine with it. I was convicted by the fact that while I was concerned about losing money, my black brothers and sisters were losing their lives. Some of our attendees in 2016 didn't like the discomfort they faced from what some of our speakers like Micah and Nicholas presented. There was plenty of silence and squirming in the room, but plenty of our attendees did. And maybe some of them are you listening to this podcast right now, four years later. Here we are, still gathering, still conversing, still discussing, still learning, still fighting for changes that need to happen. And how are we sparking those changes? Of course, through the stories that we tell. It should go without saying, but if you're new here, obviously racism is not the exclusive focus of our work at Story. I have always sought to serve storytellers from a wide variety of industries working in a variety of mediums with the hope of inspiring and empowering them to do their best, most creative work, regardless of what that work is. There's plenty of work to be done in so many areas around the world. But as we do that creative work, my hope is that we often pause and ask ourselves how we can leverage the power we have as storytellers to come together during specific times of need and focus our minds and actions and creativity on the needed conversations, the conversations to figure out what role we have to play. And this, my friends, is one of those times I know that so much of our community is continuing to become more and more active in the fight against racism on so many different levels, including me. Story has always and will continue to play a role in actively being anti-racist. And as the leader of this community, I will continue to listen and learn and leverage whatever platform we have to keep doing better and encouraging our community to do the same. So here in this first episode of this new season of the Story Podcast, we begin by going back. We dip into the archives of Story 2016. You already heard an incredible piece of Micah's spoken word, and you'll hear more by the end of this episode. But his thoughts, perspective, and creative process is as amazing as his poetry. So enjoy this talk he delivered live from the Story stage. This is Micah Bornet. I want to talk to you today uh, about this concept of comparison. 
when it comes to the things we create. It's kind of weird to me that I get invited to come and, and speak and perform because most of my life, I felt stupid. And I didn't have low self-esteem. I liked who I was. I was comfortable in my own skin. But it was because of the way I was taught to measure intelligence. To me, uh, it wasn't low self-esteem. It was just a fact that I was dumb. I was one of six kids. My older siblings, I was the fourth. My siblings were brilliant. My oldest sister went to one of the most prestigious colleges in California, UC Berkeley, um, and then uh, graduated, moved to Mexico City, did a study abroad program, became bilingual, and then became a school teacher. Uh, my brother graduated from a four-year university in three years with a double major, then went straight to law school, passed with flying colors, and is now a federal prosecutor for the US government in Washington, DC. My other older sister, in high school, broke national records with her track team, uh, got a track scholarship to UCLA, and then it was my turn. <laughs> I'm what I like to call a good student who got bad grades. Uh, what I mean by that is I worked hard. I never skipped class. I did my homework, but I would come home with an assignment. It would take me four hours. I'd try everything I knew to do, and I would get a B minus or a C. My siblings, they do the same assignment in half the time and get an A, right? So I, I struggled, and when it came to standardized tests, um, I, it was so much pressure, I bombed them every year. I wasn't smart. I wasn't getting into Berkeley. And since I was taught that that's what it means to be intelligent, I thought, objectively, I'm dumb. I don't get good grades. I don't do well on tests. And so I compared myself to my peers, to my siblings, and to what I was taught it was meant to be intelligent, and I thought, well, I'm dumb. And I didn't ever feel intelligent until I started uh, creating. My freshman year of college, I started uh, writing hip hop lyrics, but because of the stereotypes associated with hip hop, I didn't recognize that as creative writing or, or anything that was respected. It's like, oh, well, you're just rapping. Even though I was writing poetry and being a creative writer, I, I thought, oh, I'm rapping, and that's not, that's not academic, that's not respected. So I didn't really recognize what I was starting to do. Um, it was like, that was fun. I still hated school. <laughs> I still hated college, and I still wasn't good at it. Um, but then my junior year of college, I was invited to an open mic, and I first saw spoken word poetry. I didn't think I liked poetry because the only type of poetry I was exposed to made me feel dumb, right? It was an overly metaphorical, um, often Shakespearean-type language, and I just thought, I don't get it. I feel stupid. But I got, uh, I got invited to this open mic, and I saw spoken word poetry. I saw people performing stuff that I related to in language that made sense to me, and I loved it. So I started writing to be a part of this community. And it was great. It was for the love of it. I would go into uh, coffee shops and, and bars and anywhere that was having open mics, and I'd just be a part of the community. And it was awesome. But my relationship to spoken word changed once, in my own estimation, once I got good. <laughs> And uh, so I've been on both sides of comparison, feeling, first of all, inferior and lesser than. But then I found something I was good at, and suddenly uh, I was comparing myself to other poets, thinking, they suck. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, it was frustrating as I shifted from a hobby to really pursuing it as a career. Uh, every time any type of spoken word poem goes viral on YouTube, like, 15 of my friends posted on my wall, text it to me. And I'm watching these things, I'm like, this sucks. Like, why are you sending me this? You know, like, I don't get it. And it's so funny uh, because I often talk to other poets that I'm friends with and we're like, man, we just don't 
understand like why people like these poems and then there's poets that i think are my heroes my idols and their poems have like 300 views couple thousand views and then these these poems that are mediocre at best some of them really bad have like a million views in like a couple weeks and you're you're scratching your head and you start to wonder like why do people like this um but there was this tension because I started to have this attitude of people don't know what good poetry is, right? Um, and uh, I didn't really respect the taste of the masses. But at the same time, I was desperate for those same people who didn't have good taste to like my stuff. <laughs> I wanted to be validated by the people who I thought their, their taste were, was not even worth, you know, uh, being respected. They don't, know, they don't know the difference between good poetry and bad poetry. So there was some tension there. That doesn't make sense. Right? Of course, but if they like my stuff, that's when they finally figured it out. Right? Um, and so I was, was going back and forth, and it wasn't healthy um, because, and it wasn't, it wasn't only a selfish thing about my work, but it really was frustrating seeing other artists, my friends and other artists I respect, have not a fraction of the success that other poets who had much less talent were having. And again, comparing and, and being frustrated, and it really, caused me to check my heart and my motivation. Why do I do what I do? But I had a couple shifts. I realized I only did this, I only thought like this with spoken word poetry because it was my thing. I was good at it. But in other disciplines, I didn't have the same type of judgmental attitude. For example, uh, uh, this story conference has been very welcoming. And when I got to my hotel room, there was a beautiful welcome package in a box. Um, I tell people I love chocolate. And I think I love chocolate. Um, but if I'm honest, you know, I love candy bars. <laughs> I love Snicker bars. I love break me off a piece of that Kit Kat. You know what I'm saying? And, and in the welcome box, there was this dark chocolate with salt and black pepper. And I'm like, I don't like none of this 90% cocoa. It tastes bitter to me. I'm like, that's disgusting. I love chocolate. Yes, Snickers and Twix, that type of stuff. Now, to someone who's really into chocolate, I can't believe that. You call that garbage chocolate? You know what I'm saying? Um, you don't even know good chocolate, you know? And it's like, you can lecture me and make me feel bad, but the fact of the matter is, I'm not doing anything wrong by liking Twix. And there is no moral obligation for me to like 80% imported cocoa beans from South America, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I, I just don't know about it. It's not my thing. And so instead of being upset that I like it, I mean, the fact that I have any interest in chocolate is a good thing. And I have maybe one day might appreciate the type of chocolate that the fine chocolate makers uh, uh, make. But I realized that. I'm like, you know what? It's nobody is at fault for not being really into spoken word and knowing the difference between good and bad poetry. That has nothing to do with me. There's good, there's good artists who will have little success. There's mediocre artists who will have great success. There's good artists who will have great success. It, it's all over the map. You'd never know. All you can do is faithfully create. And, and I was reminded to think about why I create, regardless to how much or how little success I have. Um, and I recognize those moments and I write them down and I think about them. When I'll do a show, I have a poem that I deal with suicide and a woman came up to me, she was in her 40s and she said, you know, when I saw you perform, I had an epiphany. When I was a little girl, I walked into my living room and my dad had a gun to his head. 
and I had to talk him out of taking his life as an eight-year-old girl. She says, I have never told anyone that in my life. You are the first person. Me and him were the only people in the room. Your poem helped me realize I need to deal with that. I'm going to go to counseling. Thank you. When that happens, when moments like that happens, I remember, I don't care if I'm doing a noisy coffee shop with 15 people or a huge event with 5,000 people. That's why I do what I do. I got another email from a gentleman who said, you know, I uh, just went through a divorce. I fought hard for my marriage. My father died, all these other things. I've never been married or divorced. My father is still living. And yet, for some reason, this guy heard my album of poetry and says, your, your album got me through this toughest season of my life. That's why I do what I do. If I happen to get millions of views, great. If I don't, I don't care. When I remind myself of why I do what I do, that keeps me going. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. And um, I hope that those of you who are uh, dedicated uh, to your craft have wild success. But I guarantee you, even if you never do, you're, you're affecting somebody. And it's worth doing. love the way Micah reminds us all of the power we have to impact others through the art we create, the stuff we make, and the stories we tell. I'm inspired by the way he continues to faithfully create, despite the struggles and pain that he regularly experiences, and his willingness to bring others along on his journey as he navigates those experiences. He really is one of my favorite creators. And I want to close this episode with another piece of spoken word from Micah, another piece he shared on stage at Story. But before we close out this episode with that poem, I want to challenge you to join me in amplifying the work of other Black creators. We need their art and stories to continue to move us towards racial equity. And once you consume and share their work, to join me in supporting that work. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd invite you to join me in becoming a member of Micah's Patreon. He's in the middle of his next album and the work he's been sharing with us behind the scenes as his Patreon members, it has been moving me to action and challenging me to my core. Just go to patreon.com slash Micah Pornay. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash M-I-C-A-H B-O-U-R-N-E-S Micah Borne B-O-U-R-N-E-S Patreon.com slash Micah Borne Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Story Podcast. It's so good to be back with you with this new season four. I am Harris III and here's Micah Borne with another powerful piece of spoken word artistry. We are proud to be storytellers. But there was a time when we were considered fools. When only birds could fly and the earth was flat. When hip hop and jazz were not considered music. When black and brown were not considered human. When humans could not walk on the moon. When pictures could not move. When women could not vote. When we could not share a meal unless we shared a skin tone, yes. We were there, way back then, being mocked and dismissed by most. But we never were ashamed. We never stayed quiet. We were there, 
telling stories of a day when impossible things would be daily routines. Today's common sense was yesterday's absurdity, yet here we are, flying on airplanes, walking on moons, watching moving pictures in multiple dimensions, voting for women, listening to MCs flow rivers of words over jazz beats, having meals and children with lovers from other cultures. Yes, here we are today, still considered fools, being mocked and dismissed by most. But we never are ashamed. We never stay quiet. Here we are, telling stories of a day when impossible things will be daily routines. Today's absurdity is tomorrow's common sense. And we'll be there with more stories to be told, more voices to be heard, more nevers becoming every days. We'll be there when creative things are not considered electives but core to the education of human beings. When developing your creativity is a responsible thing and working a passionless job to get rich is a silly dream. We'll be there when art is taken down from its ivory tower, consumed less like caviar and more like bread and water. We'll be there when artists are not starving, when humans are not starving, when being white is not a privilege and being black is not a curse, when we treat Mother Earth like a mother instead of always taking from her. We'll be there when our fantasies become common sense. And even then, we will speak of impossible things. The only hope we have are the stories we tell, stories not bound by what is possible, by what is dead. We walk on water. We resurrect. They laughed us to death, but here we are, humming fools, unashamed of hope. Our stories, our future, our stories are foolish. Only until tomorrow. My name is Micah Bournet and I'm a spoken word poet. The Story Podcast is a production of the Astoria Collective. It is hosted and curated by Harris III and produced, edited, and mixed by Chad Michael Snavely. All music for Season 4 of the Story Podcast is provided by the talented musicians at Soundstripe. For more information about this podcast and other creative offerings from Story, visit storygatherings.com.